This is Always Remember The Mod State Podcast And now, your hosts Alright, ladies and gentlemen We're back I know, I know It's been a minute It's been a minute But we made it You know, it certainly hasn't been because uh, We haven't wanted to do this Truthfully so By the way, hello How are you? I'm I'm good, sir. I can't okay. complain. We're, we finally reconvened. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, you know, context is great. Um, several weeks ago, uh, our equipment basically failed. I mean, it's been we've been using it for the last four or five years. I, you know, I don't expect equipment to be awesome all the time, but it was just sort of just kind of cut off. Like one <laughs> one day, just decided everything decided to stop working. So, you know, it was time for us to upgrade. So I went over to Guitar Center here in Glendale, Colorado. A guy named Chris helped me out. And he, I just realized that, oh, over the last couple of years, they've actually gotten a lot better at this technology. So we picked up, we picked up um, some new mixers and some stuff. But the problem is, is that supply chains are kind of broken right now. And it just took a while to get here. So ultimately, um, <clears throat> ultimately it took a little bit. but. Uh, I think it's worth it because we didn't actually, product. Yeah, exactly. We didn't want to produce um, something that was sort of uh, first uh, first couple episodes of Mod State Podcast. So anyway, um, well, before we get started, I think we've got a, a good show. There's plenty of stuff that's been going on. Um, so before we dive in, let's give credit due where credit is due. As always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the Mod State Podcast. If you'd like more um, op-ed and opinion pieces, please head over to modstate.com. You can listen to all the podcasts through there and other um, interesting tidbits. But wherever you're listening, whether that's foreign, uh, foreign soils, international soils, or domestically, thank you. But here we are. We've made it. Um, yes, indeed. So... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of tough to figure out what the heck we talk about tonight. Um, but I think we've got a pretty good framework. I don't want to deviate too far from our bizarre geopolitical and then the sort of meat of the topic or the meat of the conversation. Um, but I don't know. Any, any initial thoughts? It's been a second. What, uh, what you've been up to? What? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of funny in retrospect, as you and I have talked about, uh, you were a bit concerned that with Donald Trump's defeat, and it was a defeat, that things were going to get a lot, not necessarily boring, but a lot more simple, perhaps. And yet we found ourselves more in demand than ever. And I, I think that kind of is a, is a perfect segue in whichever direction you want to go. Because like the Cheshire Cat said in Alice in Wonderland, well, if you don't, know exactly where you want to go it doesn't really matter which route you take well i mean it's a good layup i mean there is a lot going on there is uh for better or for worse i mean depending on what political uh, side of the political political aisle you're on um yeah i I would admit that the biden administration is having a little bit of trouble as of recent Uh, That wasn't pointed at them. No, I, but you know what? They're the ones that are in leadership, and uh, they'll the they're the ones that uh, will ultimately bear the responsibility in history books. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that there's a lot of 
<clears throat> utter looney tunes that's going on right now. I, I want to acknowledge that up front. We'll have, pl- we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But yeah, it's been it's been an interesting couple weeks. Uh, we we blew past nine eleven, and <clears throat> you and I uh, um, talked about um, that on the on that day and around that weekend. Um, I, I felt like George Bush's words were um, both good. The speech was great. A um, little interesting coming from him, given the fact that we, <laughs> he helped uh, start the last twenty years. But um, we had that. We've also had. Um, some geopolitical issues with France and the Australia and the UK, <laughs> and I'm I'm missing a lot. We've got um, subpoenas from the January sixth Commission. We've got distress at the border. We've got coronavirus in the terms of the Delta. The Delta. Oh yeah, Steve Bannon with the subpoenas. Uh, we have. Uh, well, he uh, said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, and then, of course, we've continued to have around 2,000 deaths a day um, from our Delta variant. Infrastructure. And, and yes, of course, <clears throat> infrastructure. And we will talk about that. I think we'll we'll talk about that in the, the main portion of this podcast. And also, uh, you know, soil and green is people. Hmm. What did you say? Uh, soil and green is people. That's news, too. Oh, you're right. Um, okay well where to begin where to begin that's that's the problem we 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 vow to you folks we really are going to return more regularly because it's 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 thick enough as it is you pick it one thread on the sweater you gotta unravel the whole thing and (laughs) god it's two two weeks is may as well be six months well i agree and well on that i think I think before we begin this episode and talk about a number of things, uh, at least it's something I think it's important. I'll probably bring it up again while we have this conversation. Is I I I, I like to make sure that I'm examining uh, <clears throat> what is happening today through a correct lens, and I believe that the lens through which I should look through a lot of what's going on is that there's an intense hyperpartisan lens through which we should see. Um, everything that's happening, right? I mean, discussion of the debt ceiling, discuss <clears throat> all this type of discussion in 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 um, government is not new, uh, but through the lens of this like hyper partisanship, I think it seems more consequential or it's worse or something like that. So I I don't know. I I don't want to paint the entire American landscape through that lens, but I think in terms of politics and this type of government that we talk about, it's important to acknowledge. Um, <clears throat> so. Anyway, bizarre. The most bizarre thing from this week. And I can't really take my... Well, that's got to be that's gotta be quite a playbook from which to pick. Well, I'll, I'll lead with my bizarre. And then we can talk about your bizarre. So, well, I'm bizarre. So I was thinking about the images coming out of Texas of federal, board, uh, federal border agents... Uh, rounding up um, a handful of Haitian migrants on horseback. And <clears throat> I'm not going to lie. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm President Biden's cheerleader. I'd like to see him successful. I'd like to see this country move in a direction that, you know, is, is more equitable for all Americans. But damn, yikes. Those 
images coming out of Texas of DHS or, or uh, uh, agents down there was not a good look. <clears throat> so it's not that I'm sitting here being utterly outraged by it. I think every American... No, what? It, it wasn't a good look? Are you sure? <laughs> so I want to acknowledge, and I want to take the time on this episode to be able, or just on this podcast in general, to be able to, as you would say, call balls and strikes. And so I definitely want to call that here and say that uh, that happened under his watch. Obviously, I don't think that President Biden was the one that was ordering DHS agents on horseback to do that. But he is the leader. Uh, it is an executive branch type of institution and so he has to take responsibility for that so it sounds like a couple of those guys are on on leave right now i was just reflecting on this and it's like man there's some interesting throwbacks and some weird archetypes um, with a lot of these photos but it made me sad that i tend to believe that there's a handful of americans out there that uh are pretty cool with those photos and i think you know, if it hadn't been the, if it isn't because, I would say because of the climate today, I'm I'm more convinced that there's a whole bunch of people out there that are super pumped that that happened on the border, and that just kind of makes me sad. But that is my bizarre news story for the week. I'll pass I it mean, on to I, you. I'm, well, I'm I'm not at all happy about anyone that gets mistreated. Um, obviously, we have to have some semblance of border control and law and order, or else we do not have a country. And obviously, all 7 billion people on the planet cannot move here. Um, but I, I, I think also it's an unprecedented crisis in Haiti. There's over 60% unemployment. Their president was assassinated. Uh, it's just, it's a cauldron, a perfect storm of sure. events. I mean, it's bizarre in general. I mean, the entire situation is, is crazy. And that doesn't mean that there's not a whole lot of crazy history rooted in that. So I agree with that. But the entire story is, is nuts. No, it is. It is disconcerting. And I, I wish it had been different, but I, I wish a lot of things. You know, it, it put paid to any doubt that it was going to be smooth sailing after January 20th. And that's not indicative of anyone's specific character. Mm -hmm. But I mean, come with the hour, come with the man. Yeah. And as you referenced, I mean, you want the big chair. That's great. Mm hmm. So what, what, um, now it's yours. Yeah. All right. So what's your bizarre story for the week or month or however long we haven't been together? I, you know, I, it's a, it's a difficult one to pick. I mean, I, I hate to, I know, um, France and the, and the UK and Australia is for later, but that, that was pretty bizarre to me how, how it was particularly handled. Um, well, tell you what, I, let's, let's make it a bizarre and a geopolitical one. Cause I think we could probably spend a little bit of time on this. I mean, it is bizarre, and it is geopolitical. Yeah, that's right up our alley. Okay, so why don't you tee it up? You want to tee it up? Do you want me to tee it up? I think you should. <clears throat> okay. So, um, just I search for a better signal. Just recently, um, the well, I shouldn't say recently, but um, the. Australian government and the French government came to an arrangement for uh, the technology and the support for uh, nuclear equipment, submarines, um, etc. So this, I believe, was uh, undertaken in around 2016. And then, of course, there's, there's been a number of things that have happened since 
then uh, of course there's the brexit refer- or the the independence or the the um move away from the eu so now we have a britain that is in a different position than it was in 2016 so in there was this agreement and just recently there was a termination of that agreement by the australian government um and <clears throat> this contract then went to the UK and to America. And again, the contract's over for a, a number of years, and the overall price on this is something to the tune of maybe like $50 billion, which is significant, obviously. Um, that's great money that you can tax in your home country. It creates jobs. However, it was ripped underneath the feet of France <clears throat> and was given to the UK and to the US. So, Rightfully so. France was kind of. Do you really think the money is the issue here? No, money's not the issue. And that's my point. Like $50 billion is a lot of money, but it's not, uh, it's not going to make. You and I. It's not going to make, uh, the, it, that kind of money is not, uh, make or break for the U.S. or for France or for the U.K. Um, it was it, more the, the principle of the thing. The, the thing that struck me is. I mean, because I, I say it's even World War II, World War One, and the that's, Revolutionary that's War. That's a good the question. Uh, you know, talking, talking about yeah. France wasn't even consulted. No, it doesn't sound like France was consulted for this. And and you know, you and I had talked about this earlier, and we we're trying to do this podcast episode this week. The conversation arose, like, you know, should it really matter? I mean, obviously, I think what's important for people to understand, if you haven't followed the story, is that France actually recalled their ambassadors from the United States. Um, I mean, that's a way to show your displeasure in the UK. That's a good way to show your displeasure. But Biden did call Macron and seems like things have sort of worked themselves out. But there was this necessary posturing by France to be like WTF. If we're going to be a play a role in, uh, you know, sizing. Let's not forget this. Let's not forget the fact that President Trump nor President Biden have heated if you don't believe me, folks, I bang, but you go ahead and Google. President Macron has pleaded for aid uh, fighting Boko Haram and other terrorist groups in Africa. Guess who is leading GWAT, the global war on terror in Africa? France. And we, deaf ears. So, yeah, but, so then, but I mean, it, it, seems, it seems very duplicitous of, on foreign policy mm-hmm. terms from both the Trump and Biden administrations to then yeah. try and pop. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. Try, yeah. But, but you're mean, not even going to consult. I mean, let me take a contrarian point of view here. And that viewpoint is, um, look, yeah, we aren't even. I mean, they helped us with our independence. We came to their aid in World War One and World War II. Um, Like, what do we actually owe them in terms of obviously the tradition of our relationship, but you know, the, the Australia had to make a decision, right? And it wasn't happening in 2016 with America, but now America has stepped up and said, yeah, we'll share technology with you. And, and they have to make a decision for Australia's interests. Who is going to that's, be, a, that's who's, fine. who's going to that's be a fine, better defender you of, you don't even consult the French. I mean, why, what, what's to consult? Like what, what's the, what would be, you'd be, well, ta- I'll give you a huge reason why. Okay. Well, a huge reason why, and again, these are his words. 
I'm not taking a dump on the president of the United States. Okay. I'm using his words. America is back, which the obvious inference there was the, the uh, dumpster fire that was the last four years of foreign policy shall not be the status quo. So within the six, first six months, first year of your presidency, let's not even go to Afghanistan. Let's not even go there. You do this. Well, it doesn't sound to me like, um, I don't know, <laughs> America's back. And, and France's foreign minister even said that. So uh, that, that's not me taking a personal shot. It's me going, uh, I, I just am sort of curious. I mean, did nobody think for a second that, hey, maybe, maybe we should make a phone call to, to the Champs-Élysées to, to Paris first? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, that's what should have happened. But ultimately, I think there would have been a little bit of blowout from this, right? I mean, let's be realistic. Well, one way or the other, yes. So, you know, this was never going to go over super well. And, and I guess from a geopolitical perspective, I think it's interesting that it isn't more of like an EU type of thing. Um, interesting to see maybe the position that uh, the UK has taken given their their need to develop new trade partners and develop new relationships. You know what I well, mean? Exactly. Precisely. You raise a, a good issue because you got to remember the UK is fresh off. Yeah. Who knows how long it's UK and not just England because they kept the UK together pre-Brexit by swearing, promising to the Scottish and the Irish, for instance, that we're going to remain in the EU. Well, now that they left the EU, once again, Scottish independence and Northern Ireland has become a topic. The Welsh, I'm, I would bet, would be soon after following. So England, as I think it will be within the next 10 years, 15 maybe, uh, they have little choice here. They're bent over a barrel. They're not going to choose, so they must have a, a strong, resplendent partner. And so the logical choice here is they don't want to piss off America. Well, and that's just the thing. Uh, Australia looks at it the same way that. Or do I exaggerate? No, no, I don't. I think you're right. I think Australia and the UK look at the United States as a logical trading partner. Um, and again, not to undermine um, France's ability to defend itself and help defend allies. The natural first starting point is with America, right? What technology do you want to have the most compatibility with? Nothing against France that their technology is bullshit. That's not the case. But America seems to be that logical partner. Again, didn't go well. Could have been handled differently. It's probably something that just happened that went under the president's went under the radar of the president. I'm, you know, it's probably. I don't know that it was something that it was in a briefing. But I don't know. <clears throat> I have never given an intelligence briefing. So, well, well I mean, not again, to the president. I don't think for a second. I, I don't think that President Biden sat down and went, given a choice, hey, do we do, we, do, you do this? I don't think that was the play that was called. It's just, I would say, from a, a tactical perspective, it's not a good look for Mr. 
I've got four plus decades of foreign policy experience. America is back. Vote for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. for somebody. I mean, how many times do we hear about his time in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee? How many? It was ad nauseum. And so, it, again, that's not me damning the man, but I'm saying, like, you, you wanted the big chair, homeboy. And, and this is the best look. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay? Yeah, I am fine. Um, with new technology and new spaces, <laughs> uh, <laughs> comes some technical difficulties. So in the camera, That's it looks cool. like I'm, I'm being nuts, but I'm just trying to find a comfortable position. So, um, okay, so let's, let's move on from France in the U.S. And I actually wanted to talk about one more sort of bizarre story that I thought was interesting. But I, the reason I want to bring it up is because I know, I, know it will, um, I know it will develop into some interesting dialogue, but I'm going to try to keep it <clears throat> as I think we could spend the rest of the episode talking about this, but I'm going to keep it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep it. So you didn't tell me. About this one. No, I didn't tell you about this one, but we've already talked about it. So, <laughs> so you, you know, it's not like you're going to be um, remiss of talking points here. So, um, <laughs> okay. So one thing we talked about, um, and that was... You don't have pants on. I do. Of course I do. They're not pants. Whatever those are, those are not pants. They're shorts, my friend. Don't you worry. I would do you like that. I, I mean, I, you know, at least Bobby did. Oh, bro. Oh, there we go. Yeah, those are totally pants. Um, okay, so here... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I moved to a standing position. I don't often do this, but you know, I'd like to get ready for potential live podcast events. Okay, so <clears throat> it wasn't. So it's been it's been over overlooked with all the stuff that's been going on, but I wanted to bring it up, and that was the um, <clears throat> sort of tone deaf, um, huge miss on Amy Coney Barrett's part. When she spoke, <laughs> look at your face. I knew, I knew you. You, you did it. You did it. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so happy. <clears throat> okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So, um, we 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 kind of got spirited about this uh, the other day, and and so I wanted to bring it back, but I'll make sure that I'm. Again. Okay. So, uh, I think we should lay out some objective facts um, first, <clears throat> and we're going to start with the one that I know that you will um, use in this argument, and that is, look, um, partisanship with um, judicial nominees for the Supreme Court started with the Democrats um, in the early 2000s. Well, consequently, after that precedent had been set, Mitch McConnell managed to defer conferment of an Obama-era Supreme Court's justice um, and then turned around in an utter hypocrisy. Exactly. Um, And then in an utter hypocritical move, um, set to nominate Amy Comey Barrett for a uh, Supreme Court's justice position immediately after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, but almost within um, the time frame, very near to an election, which sort of went against their original precedent with the Obama-era um, Supreme Court justice. Well, we all know that the nomination and confirmation of both Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett was incredibly hyperpartisan um, and it was incredibly problematic. What isn't? <clears throat> so, um, what isn't hyperpartisan? So, <laughs> okay, well, everything's hyperpartisan, but this was a particularly interesting hyperpartisan moment. Um, and so, Amy Coney Barrett went to Kentucky 
Um, it, I don't even remember the venue that she was giving her speech at, <clears throat> but Mitch McConnell was there, and he was there to introduce her. And Amy Coney Barrett's message was this. You know what? It's a real bummer that the Supreme Court has been hyper-politicized. You know, it's just not the institution that should be hyper-politicized. Well, a lot of people across the world in the U.S. were like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, you had the most contentious, hyper-politicized Supreme Court confirmation um, in, in, in recent history. So, <laughs> there was a couple articles that were floating around, and I really, I really enjoyed them. <clears throat> it was kind of like, Amy Coney Barrett, um, her honorable Amy Coney Barrett, recognized that the Supreme Court has been hyper-politicized and doesn't like it. What could she do to rectify this awful situation? Well, John, she should resign. If she truly believes that the Supreme Court is this hyper-politicized institution that is, given its current state, is a ruinous to democracy, then she could be the person, man. She could be the hero that we all need right now. She could pave the way and be the example. She could resign. How do you feel about all this? Look, I... I, I... Uh, debate. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to refer back to the same way that I do the uh, pansa poet, so, poet socialist uh, left wing media that says, well, only if the Republicans would nominate a moderate for president, we could get behind them. And my answer to that is. OK, John McCain, in 2008. what happened with Mitt Romney in 2012? None of the mainstream left media got behind them. OK, the issue here that you're aggravated with is not Amy Coney Barrett. She cannot help that. Also, going back to what you referred to before, she could help Mitch it. McConnell was talking. She could help Sorry? it. She could help it. It's not like her hands are tied. She could resign. She cannot help the manner in which she was The environment. She right. can't help the environment in which she was nominated, Nate. But she was nominated in that environment, so she, but, so she could think about her acceptance of that nomination. Did, did she shoot Ruth? Did she shoot well, You did have some. Is Ginsburg dead because of Aaron? <laughs> No, no, she didn't do anything to Ginsburg. My point is she recognizes that, you know, in the last two nominations and confirmations, it has become hyper-partisan. It's been politicized. But, you know, it wasn't like their nominations. Look, man, it wasn't like their nominations were like some. <laughs> I mean, those nominations and confirmations were, were done let's under. Let's for a second. Okay, let's do that. He, he actually, now again, I told you. I've said this in the podcast before, and I'll say it again. Documents tell us is not that the Senate, if they feel like it, can hear the president's Supreme Court nominee. That's not what it says. The president shall shall nominate, and the Senate shall give hearing. Okay, so that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. However, he was technically technically correct in saying that this has not happened since I believe it was Grover Cleveland where the opposition party confirmed a president's nominee in that time frame. So again, I know we're splitting hairs here, but let's, let's be accurate. And again, Amy Coney Barrett is not to blame for that environment. But, but she recognizes it's not her responsibility who died. Yeah. But she could, again, she could address the situation. Um, By resigning, that ain't going to happen, nor should it. (laughs) 
you know, a boy can hope. Boy because can you don't like her doesn't mean she doesn't belong in the court. Because you, I mean, I just don't. I don't think I don't, time where it was usually it was usually eighty plus votes in favor of a nominee, uh-huh. not because everybody agreed with them, but it was based upon are they qualified to sit on the bench? And my heart goes out to Merrick Garland, and I told you this. Yeah, and I I enjoyed his very genuine. Personally, I think it was a mistake on McConnell's part. Give the man a hearing and then vote him down. Yeah. But it, Amy Coney Barrett, I, I, I think, I think is, uh, it's misplaced anxiety here. Really? Well, we'll find out because there's a lot of good, juicy stuff that's coming to the Supreme Court. And I just don't know. I, I don't know that I have that level of trust that you do. But again, an overturning of Roe v. Wade would be a win. Um, for for Catholics around, so I guess it there's I guess there's less skin in the game, um, and there's you, less... you got to stick that there. I mean, if it was if it was that easy, you got to remember five out of the nine justices are Catholic. The sixth, Neil Gorsuch, was raised Catholic. If it was that easy, it'd have been done. And you got to remember too. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I, again, Gorsuch both sided with the law again. You know, I was a God-fearing man at one point in my life, and uh, and I know that you have to put him. You first. will be again. You have to put him first, man. That's the way. That's the way it works. So, see, again, you're being duplicitous here because we've already had this conversation. Look, man, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I, you're not right either. Mm. But I'm. You, mostly... you're, you're incorrect. We talked about this before, and again, I love most... you, but you're being duplicitous. I'm, I'm mostly right, though. Like from a okay. from a very thirty thousand foot view of, of doctrine. When you're talking to me, you're not talking to to the the greater part of Red America. Okay, it's like we talked about. I, I forget the term laicity. I forget what it's referred to in, in France of equal tracts being French and being Christian. Okay, oh, live by the laws of your land, Price. No, that seems to be missed. I'm an American. Seems to be missed. It's a, a it's a separate track for me. Fair enough. I mean, but I, I don't, I don't think that's a, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like this is a necessarily the, the <laughs> well, look, and you're absolutely right. I live in a reality. Uh, I live in an alternate reality. She will, she will always remain a Supreme court justice. Uh, she's not leaving. She's not going anywhere. It was just, it was just interesting. Uh, and it was actually a lot of good insight that she had in terms of understanding that her nomination and, and the fact that she's on the Supreme court is is incredibly hyper politicized, um, and uh, again, there, there's well, again that's not her fault. Oh, I mean, she had some again. She she could have read the room, but she didn't. So, but it was a career move. Like it's an absolute career move. So I, I get it. So anyway, um, let's let's move on to. I feel like we're adequately primed for the next conversation, and that is uh, infrastructure, baby. Oh, so you don't you don't want to harp on Catholics any longer? You're ready to move on? No, nah, bro. Catholics, you have a special place in my heart. It's uh, I love your tradition. I love your incense and your candles and shit. Um, let's, let, let's move on. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> you wanted that? Nah, nah, it's all good. Um, okay, so let's talk about money. Lots and lots of money. Um, to the tune of $3.5 trillion worth of money. And look, man, I, you know, you know the movie Eight Mile with Eminem in that ending rap battle where um, 
Eminem, he steps up to the plate, Rabbit, and he raps about, about all of his um, shortcomings and his character flaws and then raps about how he's good so that the rapper, um, the, 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 his counter uh, rapper, was unable to really create any narrative around his character flaws because he did it in the first rap battle. So <clears throat> the point is what I'm doing here is I'm going to say I understand um, that you come from this perspective in terms of our national debt, current national debt, um, and it's very high. It definitely is. Uh, our our national debt is a problem. It is an issue. I think there's some interesting economic theory behind how we should look at what national debt is. <clears throat> some people don't have a problem with it and says we shouldn't be worrying about it, and there's other economists that say it's a huge deal. Um, however, there is a massive spending bill that I think actually we can both agree on is long overdue for America. We need to focus on infrastructure. We have to play catch up. We need broadband. We need internet to the rural reaches of America. Um, whether we want to consider it a service or a utility, it needs to reach all of Americans. So, so there is a need for what is being proposed, but there's a lot of reasons why people have a problem with it. And obviously spending is a huge uh, piece of this. The other sort of microcosm to this is that there's a lot of people that just aren't on board with sort of the social impact of this infrastructure bill. So there's this social um, infrastructure, there's this investment in people, in childcare, and tax credits. And of course, that's got a lot of small government folks really freaked out uh, because it's just another welfare state. Another reason why people shouldn't be, they won't be pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. So we're here to talk about it. So, yeah, $3.5 trillion. Is, is there a question anywhere in here? I didn't need to ask a question. I'm just teeing it up. Well, I mean, you, you, you already explained my... my, my <laughs> like, do continue. Uh, no, I don't think there's... My, my, my question is, uh, right off the bat, is it something we should pass? The current bill? Yeah. No. Okay. So... Why shouldn't we invest in, uh, what should we not be investing in? say I'm opposed to an infrastructure bill. No, I, I hear you, but like, what are you not opposed to in it? I'd rather talk about, it. I, I, I <laughs> I'm a pragmatic <laughs> idealist. I'd rather be, um, I'd rather try and be a, 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 an indecent time. I'd rather talk about what I want to do, not what I don't want to do. <laughs> okay. I'd like to see us. And as an interviewer, I realize I'm, as an interviewer, I, I realize uh, I'm sort of like backing you into a really difficult position. Um, and or, did, or, or that, like, did that just occur? No, no. I mean, I mean, it was, like, it was very purposeful. But I mean, the thing is, is if I agree with everything, I if I agree with everything in the three point five trillion dollar package, my ask is okay. And if you don't, then the next logical question is, what don't you think we should be spending money on? And, and that's a tough thing. I mean, it's tough, but there obviously the you don't think we should be spending part of that money. And what is it that we shouldn't be spending money on? And tell me why we shouldn't be spending money on it. Well, I'm not going to go line by line with you. We don't have time for what is it. I'm sure it's over a thousand pages. Because Obviously, 3. 3. That's 5, the easiest way to. $3.5 trillion is it? No, I'm talking about the number of pages. Oh, yeah. But $3.5 trillion is a ton of money. Okay. You ask, tell me why. Well, I, I think first of all, as 
We cannot be all things to all people. We have to make priorities, and Americans don't want to hear that. But the issue to me is this. I'm not okay with doing one, one thing by itself, okay? But the way legislation was intended was not for us to make this a, let's throw all the spaghetti against the wall and make it stick if we can. All right. So, so priorities. Then you won't. I'm sorry? So priorities, that's important to you. It is. It's just we, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum that we agree on. We disagree on the means. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so what happens if I and told you? What happens if that, I told you that this plan, this three point five, that just passed committee, by the way, uh, and it's going to go to the House for vote? Lucky cookie. Look, okay. So hold on. They have prioritized what they think is important. So they have prioritized already. So what, how do you feel about their prioritization? Because they have done exactly what you've asked. They have prioritized their most important things they would like to spend money on. They haven't done what I asked. Okay, so, so they need they to... They haven't done what I asked. When I said priority, broad word. Okay. That your priorities are not mine. It's our, our agreement, as, we, as I just said, we've discussed a number of times. We agree on the same ends for the American mm-hmm. people, her republic. We don't agree on the same means. Mm-hmm. So, I said prioritize. Yeah, so we're, we are, they have prioritized. So what, what, diverged from mine. so what priorities of theirs do you not like about this reconciliation bill? My, my biggest thing is let's spend more than less than 50% of the bill on actual infrastructure. Okay. If you're going to call it an infrastructure bill, then let's focus on infrastructure. Okay, so you don't really have, the, it, the isn't, it isn't actually. In third world country. Yeah, so it isn't actually uh, the the issue. The three point five trillion dollar price tag doesn't sound like it's an issue to you. It's the fact that it isn't actually spending enough money on physical. Well, what, you already shot that down. But may as well not talk about it. Well, no, but so what? What? Um, what do you think? We, price tag is a massive issue for me. Okay, but so is the it's the price tag and the fact that it's not fully spending 50% on actual physical infrastructure. So how do you feel about like the human infrastructure piece of it? Seems like that'd be the, the correct place to sort of pull and allocate the current funding. Well, be specific. I'm sorry. There's, there's only so much I can retain. In one. <laughs> so it sounds like, yeah, be specific. yeah. So it sounds like the most logical place to you to pull, um, to pull funds or reallocate funds from would be sort of that like human infrastructure that we've been talking about to then sort of pull it over. So reduce the overall price tag, um, spend more money on physical infrastructure. And so something would have to give. And ultimately that would be the spending on sort of, you know, child, child tax credits, um, more affordable um, child care, things like, you know, things like, things like that. Affordable education. Well, look, well, I've worked, I've made this case plain on previous episodes of the podcast, and I'll make it again. And while you'll find the glee, of course, of me saying that the church should not uh, be exempt from taxes and that charitable donations shouldn't be tax exempt, that doesn't just apply to the church. It also applies to the ACLU. Okay. And let's see how generous Americans are then. I, look, again, everything cannot be priority one or else nothing is. We have to focus here. I'm not against social programs. I'm in favor of the EPA, the Philadelphia plan, by the way, which was Richard Nixon saying black people deserve it. And at the federal government, I'm not opposed to these sorts of things. Okay. 
but we cannot do it all. And legislation was not intended to be, oh, let's see how much crap we can cram into it that has nothing to do with the actual bill. Both sides love to condemn earmarks, or whatever you want to call it, any given time, pork. Okay, but the issue here is that the, the party proposing this, everything they can accomplish through every rightful bill they should be proposing, they want to cram it all into one spot. Look, taxes have got to go up. Get rid of any kind of deductions or none, period. Capital gains tax has got to go up. And yes, sorry, spending must go down. Interest rates must go up, period. Mm. Because are we that arrogant to think that we will forever be the currency of last resort? Will we forever have treasury bonds that are everyone's you know, favorite safe investment? That's how we finance our debt. Sure, it's play money for now, but if either of those two legs from the table are removed. <sighs> okay, so I asked you, I asked the, you this the question. The thing that's ironic about to me, go ahead. Well, no, so it was something I had asked you, um, sort of like this economic think, uh, thought process we were talking through earlier, and that was, right. well, does it, I mean, national, the national debt means a lot to you, and I think obviously that is a conversation that, uh, oftentimes comes up. I mean, obviously, Mitch McConnell and um, a fairly obstructionist GOP are not going to join in on the vote to raise the debt ceiling. I mean, it's pretty typical posturing. Um, everyone predicted this as soon as the Democrats took power that all of a sudden the debt ceiling would be really important um, when it didn't matter in 2017 when there were tax cuts to corporations and to wealthy individuals. Um, raising up less spending and raising the debt ceiling. Um, so obviously the hypocrisy is not lost in most people. But the question is, I mean, what do we do? Um, there, there is a need for this investment. I mean, regardless of whether or not we spend it all on physical infrastructure and it's half the price, at some point we will have to make those investments in our people. Um, you know, whether it's five years, 10 years down the road, the current sort of economic uh, uh, environment with incredibly expensive standard of living um, and low wages, which are sort of being worked out in a weird way at the moment in the economy, um, we'll probably have to make these investments down the road. So in the meantime, how do we propose really managing our budgets? Um, you've obviously proposed taxing uh, a number of issues, uh, a number of ways we could solve this by raising the corporate tax rate, um, taxing capital gains. But you know, one thing I'd asked is, would you be willing, even in this climate right now, to commit to some sort of austerity measures um, like, you know, Britain has done in the past in order to, you know... No. It's interesting. I felt like your response earlier was a bit different. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm sorry, say again? I said... I felt like your initial response a while ago was a little bit different from no. Like it was almost like you might have contemplated a little bit, but so you're you're pretty you're pretty all in on it being no. I I don't would not commit to austerity measures. But again, that means there's going to be continued spending, right? Well, here's the difference in between uh, myself and and yourself in Congress and most of Congress, not all. I am not a professional liar. And so I can honestly say that, yeah, for right now, I mean, I said this at the beginning of the Rona, right? 
March, right after I had my surgery, when this whole thing began, March 2012, hey, shut down the economy. September, the whole thing. I said this. You were there. It's on record. You said okay. shut down and, the economy till supplement the American. Yep. So six months, I said. Okay. So I'm not opposed to. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not opposed to social aid, but I I said yes and no earlier because it is a more difficult answer than that. But to to be direct, yes, austerity in terms of yeah, we need to tighten the belt, not long term, midterm, and I mean the very soon midterm, but with regard to what we need to do now, no, austerity is not my answer. My answer would be to raise interest rates, sorry, and my answer would be to, to provide thicker stimulus to the American people in terms of no, we're not going to cut off social aid. Okay, I get it. Um, also, I would advise we don't spend a trillion dollars on wars the American people don't want over the next decade. And I mean, I mean there's there's so many threads into the sweater you pull on, you start to unravel the whole thing. But if my you're asking me if my answer right now is austerity, no. What we need to do right now is raise interest rates and generate revenue. And that leads me to another point, which you know I know you love to point me as an arch. And pay me as but they wouldn't be very happy with me right now because this whole expatriated tax revenue, Apple, Google, et al. And I got a really easy answer for y'all. Um, you will bring home your tax dollars, or hmm, here's a thought we'll revoke your corporate charter seize your assets, and then we'll get the bread either way. Don't believe it? Well, we blew a Ford Taurus size hole in an airport in Baghdad. I'll sell money. So yes, we will. So don't, don't run any more ads about, oh, we're here for you, rah, rah, America. You know, we hire veterans. I don't want to hear that. You want to be patriots? Stop stealing from the American people. Hey man, studying the American people. Yeah, I mean, I, I love your, I love your stance because we do need to generate that re that revenue somehow. We need to be doing that, and I, I don't know. I mean, it was interesting something you brought up because I've had these moments with you where I've had these gotcha moments where I've said like, well, okay, so that's government oversight, but that's not government oversight. I'm saying uh, I, I realize your position as a centrist that says like there are times when there should be government intervention that steps in that says, listen, like this will be untenable. Um, and there's a huge inequity because of what's happening right now. If you don't pull your weight, uh, we'll fry your ass. Um, and, and, and that's well, an, acceptable, here's the, here's the it's an acceptable level it, of government sort of oversight. Well, here's the, the thing too. I, I, I go off, but as a radical centrist, it's like, well, you know, what is radical centrism? It means, you know, you're a centrist, but at times you must take an extreme measure. And I'm sure a lot of folks would hear what I just said uh, and say, my God. But who made, who made Google, Sergey Brin and Amazon, Jeff Bezos and company? Who made Steve Jobs? We did. 
And then to come to find out they're paying virtually nothing. And oh, because oh, if we raise taxes, you know, they're gonna go somewhere. Where are they going? You're gonna go to China? You gonna let them take your IP? Yeah. So you know, and I do the American think- people, the Republic has all the leverage. Mm-hmm. And I think uh Yeah, I mean, there aren't, there is a necessity. There is a, there's a need for um, that in terms of like sort of this, creating this equitable playing field. Um, but I also think you, you raise a couple interesting points there and, uh, and I, and I overwhelmingly agree with you on, on them. I, I do think it I mean, is, do, you, do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. I don't. I think it's somewhere where we actually agree. I mean, if <laughs> I think you brought up an interesting point um, and something I'd like to, to swing a little bit more politically in the latter half of this uh, in the, this episode is this idea that um, the idea that our president of the United States paid his institution, that the, his business paid $750 or less in federal income tax is preposterous and should not be looked at as the average American as like some heroic, awesome, smart way to, to, to dodge the system. I mean, it's just, it's really not equitable at all. Um, and it, weird, I sort of like lost my train of thought on this, but I think my, my point is, Oh, so this was my point uh, from a political perspective, <laughs> from a political perspective, I don't know how the Democrats capitalize on this, but they certainly could look like the party um, that really sort of capitalizes on this blatant lack of revenue generation by the ultra wealthy of this country, right? That could be played really well. Um, it it sounds like something the Lincoln Project would do, but I don't know how involved the Lincoln Project will be necessarily in helping elect Democrats. They're not going to be that institution, um, but there could be very aggressive Democrat institutions that really push this narrative that um, uh, sort of get people behind changing the tax structure and changing or at least including somehow including the more wealthy of those in the United States into the equation for spending bills like this reconciliation bill and this infrastructure bill. Right. I mean, it could be a win there. It'd be a really hard thing to counter a very hard narrative to counter. Um, if if it was really aimed at Republicans, I don't know what your thoughts are that on that. I look, I I I I think you're on the right track overall, but I I would again say that that sugar attracts a lot more flies than vinegar. I I think let's let's take the same concept yet a different approach, and that you want to be you want to do your civic duty, you want to be patriots, don't run ads. Do your due diligence, okay? You, you want to do that? Okay, pay your taxes. Don't move them overseas or we got to come get you. You know, Chris Rock made a good point. It was probably 15 years ago, but he said, if the police have to come and get your ass, they're bringing an ass whipping with them. Well, and to some of these corporations, you know, in God we trust, isn't the speaker's rostrum on your money as well. Maybe we need to do that. Aunt Sam needs to take her belt off and take some corporations to the woodshed. And I'm a capitalist, a crony capitalist. 
in this business of, you know, you shoot pool the right people and you get a better deal. Now, sorry, the, the, the era of earmarks, uh, pork spending, that era needs to be done. The era of deductions, no, sorry. We go to a flat tax, period, personal and corporate. And, you know, capital gains, sorry, this business of billions upon billions of dollars floating back and forth between uh, Manhattan skyscrapers that, oh, well, that's capitalism. No, it is not. Okay. That's, that's, that's a dream gone awry turned into this dystopian nightmare that is bastardized that people want to call capitalism. It's, it's ironic it happens both from, quote, pro-capitalist people. Well, this is capitalism. And then from the left, of, you see what capitalism does? Well, no, let's not blame this on Adam Smith. This is dystopian. This is, this is greed. There's a difference. Yeah. And I'm over it. Yeah. Well, look, I think we've had an amazing episode, only because we cut right to the chase immediately. We're coming up on 55 minutes, and I'm always that bummer that brings episodes to a close. But again, I think episodes like this are necessary to have because I think we wind up finding out that we have a lot more common ground. Again, something you brought up in this episode earlier today, I thought was really poignant. You said, you know, we, we ultimately believe in the same end for America, and that's prosperity for her and her people. Uh, but getting there is, is a little bit different. But I think even... Uh, the differences in terms of government spending, uh, a lot of this stuff that you and I disagree on, um, ultimately I think we, we agree on much more. Um, and I think I hope that that is apparent to you tonight. I think it is. I, 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 again, I, I hate to do it, but I, I hearken back to the, uh, the arch-villain, uh, the 37th president, Richard Nixon, his 1968 speech when he said, America is not going to be a great place for all of us to live in until it's a great place for or until any of us can live in it, you know, and I, I think it goes back to, uh, it goes back to a certain lost era. We've gotten caught up in this sort of, um, as you put it, hyperpartisan. It's, it's inexplicable at times, but I, I do believe in America and her republic. And overall, I do believe the American people have shown resilience and the ability to adapt so, and, and yes, what was, sorry, I just looked it up. It was America is not going to be a great place for any of us to live in until it's a great place for all of us to live in. Yeah. My apologies in this quote. I, I, I didn't look it up. You'd think I'd have that memorized, right? Be, no, it's all right. It was on the spot. So, yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, anyway, the song remains the same here. Indeed. So, it's, we got some rust. Obviously, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks. We're trying to do it more frequently, and we're very grateful for the folks that stuck with us from. India to New Zealand, yep. to France, the to U.S., Canada, everywhere. Well, thank y'all. Indeed. Well, as always, my friend, it's an honor and a privilege to do this. Sometimes bi-weekly, <laughs> tri-weekly, but certainly as often as humanly possible. Um, which we hope to get back to week in and week out. But as always, it's honor and privilege. So until next time, au revoir. All right, we'll see you. 